when you were talking, I would welcome you to podcast number 124. Today, I get to turn the microphone around because a couple days ago, I had an opportunity to record with my guest for his podcast uh, and talk to him a little bit about uh, direct mail, some of the specialties that I do uh, in my business, my real business, the things that I do for on, on a day-to-day business for customers. So I'll be sure to leave a link for that in the uh, the show notes so you guys can follow along with both podcasts. And hopefully, if you, if you like both of them or you're hearing uh, Clarence and, and me talking on his podcast and then now you come over to mine, hey, subscribe to both. I mean, what does it take? Like a click of a button and maybe you got to look at our logos every once in a while? It's I mean, it doesn't take much. And then that way you can kind of stay up to loop with everything that's going on with the Young Business Leader podcast and the Local Market Monopoly podcast. But with all that said... I want to introduce Clarence, and then I'll have him tell uh, you guys a little bit about himself. Clarence Fisher has spent more than a decade in the internet marketing trenches, honing his online marketing skills. After helping national companies go from concept to millions of dollars in revenues, he decided to focus his internet marketing powers on helping local business owners achieve their goals. Clarence has a keen eye for finding out what works in the marketplace and positioning his co- and positioning his clients' companies to dominate in their markets. Clarence, welcome to the podcast. Say hello to the audience. And if you don't mind, tell them a little bit more about yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's up, Evan? Episode 124. Yes, sir. 124. That's crazy. It's the magic number, 124, just because I'm here, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I'm so happy to be here, uh, especially on the young, uh, (laughs) young, the YBT podcast. Yeah. I am. Uh, I've been in the business for a while. Um, I am based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, you know we've got team members everywhere. I was, I was doing the virtual, uh, virtual team uh, way before it was popular. Mm. Uh, so uh, we've been able to leverage that. You know, in the in the beginning, I'm like, uh, I want the best talent. I don't care where where it's at. Um, but um, that's what we do. We do. We do, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but local market monopoly is basically helping our clients uh, dominate their local market, uh, be everywhere, be omnipresent, and get as much market share as they possibly can. Awesome. Well, when you say the word monopoly, I think of the board game, and it's just something that I get frustrated about, I don't know, six, seven turns into, and I've pretty much bought everything. I'm out of money, and now I'm starting to you know, have to finance the apartments and whatever else I've, I've built in that game. Does that parallel a little bit some of the things that you're doing with your, your pocket? I mean, is it just dump as much money as you possibly can into something, or can you kind of give me a little bit better understanding of, of what it means to be a local market monopoly? Sure. Well, hopefully you're not having to, you know, finance your home or anything, but um, (laughs) (laughs) you definitely want to dump as much money as possible, but you want to do it profitably. I mean, uh, you know, some of the some of the issues that we run into when we run into issues is being able to scale campaigns profitably. Like, you know, if you're on Facebook or something like that, um, you know, if uh, Facebook, you can actually get to a point and people don't understand this about digital, I don't think, but you can get to a point to where you can't you you want to spend money, but you can't because mm. the ad network uh, won't you, you can't do it profitably. But uh, a monopoly is basically having a authority positioning in your market. Um, you are the Kleenex, if you will, you know, in, uh, in your market being positioned as number one. Uh, 
implementing um, uh, marketing systems. We believe that systems outperform one-off promotions uh, every time. Uh, reputation, reach, repeat sales, uh, referral systems in place in your business, and then customer value optimization. Mm. You know, getting people to self-select themselves, uh, demonstrate that they are your ideal customer, client, or patient, and then getting them to buy more from you more often. Mm. Uh, that's um, and all of those are systems that create the monopoly. Fantastic. Well, I want to talk about being number one because I've been number one my whole life, and it's you know one of those. Mm-hmm. Things. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that. Uh, I think that like when we're getting started in business, like that's the goal, right? The goal is to fight, to claw. No one's going to outwork me. Nobody's going to put in more time than me. Nobody's going to do something better than I can do it, right? That's the, I feel like when we're young, we have all the energy in the world. So that sounds feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at some point, one of two things happen. And, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. A, you become number one or B, you burn out. So I want to talk about both because I think there's a lot that we can learn from both sides of it. But let's talk about being number one, first of all. Um, I think sometimes, and and I'll use myself as an example, when I got to a position in my business that I felt I was number one, I was the Kleenex. When people were talking about direct mail in a specific industry, they weren't saying direct mail, they were saying Trost. They were saying essentially the company name. You need to do this kind of campaign. It's a Trost campaign. That inferred direct mail. So we loved that. Um, but I think the dangers of being number one is becomes complacency and it becomes uh, something where you stop innovating to where now everybody's trying to fight to get where you are and you're just trying to maintain. So what are some things that you recommend people do that once they become number one to continue to innovate, continue to grow, or is it okay to just kind of hang out there at number one and then just get knocked down a little bit and then fight for number one again? What are your thoughts? Man, man, that's, uh, that's great. Yeah. Um, that is so true about the complacency Part. I'll tell you a story. Uh, when I very first got in business and started my agency, my um, my goal was to as quickly as possible become a six figure agency, mm. and um, and we did that rather quickly. Like it took like a couple of months, maybe. And then my mentor, for some reason, I just. I got depressed. <laughs> you know, like I <laughs> I didn't want to. Uh, you know, do what it took really to just continue to build and build and build. And uh, one morning I just pinged my mentor that, that helped me get started. And I was like, man, I don't know what's going on. Like I'm winning and I don't know, like, is this what winning was? And he said that the problem was every goal that I had pretty much written down that I wanted to do. And this is outside of revenue goals. This was, you know, just living, um, every goal that I had set, I had hit. And Mm -hmm. so, and so I needed to create, uh, bigger goals and, Mm -hmm. and, and a new target. And as simple as that sounds, I've just found that to be key. And so now before, before I hit the target, like right before I hit the target, I move it. Mm. Um, and that has, that has kept me 
going because we can only run while we can run. And I was, you know, Jeff Bezos or Bezos, however you want to say it. I, I saw a couple of months ago where he was, he has become known as predicting Amazon's demise because huge companies only last like so long. And his, his whole goal is to extend that or postpone that as often as possible. So, uh, but that's, that's probably a whole other thing, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, complacency is the biggest, biggest issue. And if you are number one, I mean, you start looking outside of your market for ideas outside of your industry to get other ideas, to continue to innovate, uh, because, uh, innovation is key. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I really love that phrase that you said, is this what winning is and I think that sometimes before we get into business, we have a clear definition of what winning looks like. You're holding a trophy up in the air, right? You're, you're state champs. You're, uh, you've gotten the the blue medal. You've, you know, there, there's some sort of finality, right, to some of the things that you've done up until that point. You've got the degree. You've gotten whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like in business it's different because, and especially in leadership, it's different. Because you may be a good leader this month, and you could be a really crappy leader next <laughs> month, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and it's just—it's an ongoing process. And I think that you, when you kind of came to that revelation of is this winning, I think you were kind of standing on the top, looking around, going, "I thought there would be more. Or I thought that there would be some sort of sign that I was winning." But the only—the only true measure of you winning is essentially what you're noticing at that point, because. From a financial standpoint, I'm sure you got to the six-figure part, right? So you had that metric. But I think that when you look at success and you look at some of the things that you're doing in in leadership, you might have exploded to that six-figure income thing, but you might have been miserable. Or your employees might have been miserable. Or your your turnover might have been really high. Or you're working 80 hours a week and you're just like, well – I'm winning, but I hate it. Right. So how do you, how did you find some of the balance in that once you kind of got to that, that first goal? I know you, you moved the goal, but are you also redefining what success is and, and redefining what your, your fulfillment looks like at that point? Oh man, absolutely. I mean, success became, um, you know, it's funny. Everybody was on the whole Gary V, uh, bandwagon of hustle, 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 you know, and, and, you know, I got and like you said, when you're when you're just starting out, especially when you're younger, I mean, you're doing that. But I I got to where um, a couple of things. Number one is number one is uh, working nights and weekends like that was what we did. And then for after a minute, like my wife just got used to not making plans with me at night and on the weekends, which is horrible. Right. <laughs> um, and. So, so yes, I, I started realizing what's important. So what's important. So I backed everything out and there's no sense in being able to afford things and not enjoy those things or not share those things with your family, which we all say, this is what we're doing it for. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just kind of backed everything out and looked at my calendar and said, all right, so what is the most important thing? And for me, it's, it's a, it's a spiritual thing, you know, God. And so 
let's 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 put that in the calendar my time there and then it's my wife and my family put that in the calendar so i started feeling all those things in and then started looking at what are my absolute strengths which is leadership you know it's on my wall faith leadership w- wisdom those are my gifts so you know what i'm just going to operate in those and allow other people meaning my team to handle the things that I did before when we launched and I was doing just about everything, let them handle all that. And I'm just going to walk within what I'm gifted at, what my strengths are, which requires less time of me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so you did that, right? So you experienced winning, you experienced kind of that, that process. Then you kind of stepped back a little bit and kind of reevaluated, which I think is great. What did the, what did the next part look like? Did you feel like you, took a step back in your business too, or did that in, uh, it, did that actually position you for more growth because you started to delegate more and, and, and incorporate your team more? Both happened, man. I mean, I, we took a step back and, um, I remember I was, because I was afraid of the dip Yeah. and as you know, when you, you know, um, it, when you don't have your hand on everything and decisions aren't being made by you and, uh, you know, it's just, we, we dipped and made that pivot and it was okay. But I, I had other business, I was fortunate enough to have uh, more successful business leaders and owners that were like, dude, I mean, make the change, just embrace it. And they helped walk me through that. And so then you know, you make the dip so that you can come back up. And that's what happened. And then the focus became contribution. I think ultimately that's, that's where you go. I mean, once you become your number one, and I like how you say that when you felt number one, when you become your number one and you know, this is taken care of and then that's taken care of ultimately winning is contributing to your community, to mm. other leaders, you know, that's, that's the ultimate infinite win because you can't do that enough, you know? Yeah. I think that sometimes, and I'm going to speak more towards guys in this, cause I feel like this is, we, we put more of our identity into what we do. So whenever you're going through your leadership journey or your entrepreneurial journey and you're trying to grow your business and whatever else, it becomes a direct reflection of yourself and you're, you're just fighting and pushing. And at some point when you have to reevaluate and and start to say, is it, is it worth my time to do this? And then you take that step back. There's a little bit of fear there because you're basically saying I'm, I'm no longer have to be the person and then I'm therefore giving up control. And when I give up control, then I don't necessarily know what's 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 going to happen. But I think on the other side of it is if you can kind of trust that the systems that you've put in place, the people that you're investing in, maybe you got to double down in investing in those people so that you can kind of get them to that point, that positions you to an area of contribution. Because I think everything up until you get to the contribution part is singularly focused on your success when we're, when you're starting to contribute, you're focused on your team's success. Totally agree. Totally agree. And then your, your day becomes 
building leaders. It becomes building mm -hmm. people, you know, building people. And that is just, a, you know, that, that was a major, major aha for me is, is build people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just something that we just, we don't think like when you're in school, do we talk? I don't remember being in a class where I talked about building people. <laughs> no, no, no. It was all singularly focused, but I think when you, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're recognizing that in your leadership journey, it's more than just that financial number. It's more than that title. So you're starting to recognize that there can be more and you're capable of more, but you are the bottleneck. And when you can fully and wholly trust that you don't have to make that every single decision that you can trust your team to do those things. That's where the multiplication starts to come into play as opposed to that individual stream of revenue coming in or that individual customer. There's just, there's only so much you can do. And for me, it was difficult to step aside from that. I've, I'm naturally a salesperson. I think we talked about this on your podcast. It's easy for me to sell things and when it's a product that I believe in. But when I had to, in my role, stop being the main salesperson, stop being the person that would take care of the customer in that entire place. It was difficult for me to let go of, but at the same point, there was a lot of peace in it too, because now I wasn't as concerned about the numbers. I was able to be more concerned about the value, the quality, and the, the systems and the processes like you talked about before. Then I could improve those things and I was actually, I, I was shocked, but I wasn't shocked because I, I should have known better. But I, I actually have more sticky customers with some of the, the, the people on my team, and they're just as devoted to the company as they would have been, if, if not more, and in some cases more, than if I had been the person that had forged that relationship. Mm-hmm. There's a, when you say that, I mean, it, it took me back to, you know, you want to feel needed and there, you know, when I first, when things started happening and I, I did not know what they were talking about, like, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. That, that's great that that happened. I didn't have anything to do with that. Then, then it, there is that, um, at least, you know, for me, it, it was that, huh? Wow. So they can, I mean, they're doing it. And, you know, part of that was, I had people, we had to start doing some testing to, to because when, when I start working in my gifts and my strengths, that means I don't necessarily need, I need to be doing what only I can do. And I need people that can do only, you know, do what they can do. And so we started, you know, kind of filling out uh, all the different types of personalities, the different uh, strengths that we needed so that we didn't have much overlap because you know we're we're a small just still a small team mm -hmm. um, but we didn't need two me's you know we didn't need you know two strategic uh you know thinkers there and we needed somebody that's going to uh, carry the plan carry the ball um we just started creating a a, a more comprehensive team yeah now you had said uh that you wanted the best people, right? So that didn't necessarily mean that they were all in the same room as you. How did mm -hmm. you, how did you, how did you grow that team as a remote team? Cause I feel like that's becoming more prevalent now. You know, you have people working from home or working different hours. How do you as a leader better 
manage, and I don't know if manage is the how do you better lead a team that's not somebody that you're in front of every single day? Man, at first it was really crazy. Uh, again, it, there some of the tools that we have today just wasn't, you know, they weren't there, and there was a stigma too about about it. Is uh, you know, you don't have the, you know, the whole everybody's in the, uh, you know, twenty members in one building. But the way that we do it is a lot like you would do if they're in your office. You know, we have a we have a daily huddle. Uh, we do, uh, you know, and in that huddle, everybody is bringing up, we follow some of the traction, uh, uh, things. And so through zoom, through Slack, through, we use teamwork project management. I mean, there is a lot of communication during the day. And then we have, uh, different shifts because, you know, when you're working, when you have people that are working, really all over the world. I mean, there's different, um, different time shifts, but I mean, you can do it. How do you, how, I, I mean, from a work quality standpoint, I think it's one thing where it's, you know, is it done correctly and is it done on time, but how do you, how do you kind of, uh, pick up on some of the intangible things like, you know, employee engagement and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and how satisfied they are with things or, you know, in email, you can't always pick up tone, right? So maybe somebody's messaging you on, on email or communicating on Slack and you're, you think everything's fine. And then maybe in a actual on-site meeting, all of a sudden a whole different story comes out. Do you have kind of a, a, a way that you've been able to manage and, and kind of pick up on some of those things as well? Sure. When you're doing, um, when you're communicating, uh, through digital, uh, means for years and years and years. I don't know how to explain it, but you do pick up on, on things. Okay. Um, but also we share a lot. Like when there's a, a ballet recital or something like that, the pictures come across Slack, you know, um, you know, we just had a wedding, you know, and those things are shared. But beyond that, we have, uh, every other week is a review. Mm -hmm. a, like I meet with with a singular team member every other week for an hour. And instead of in lieu of doing, you know, the yearly review or their six month review, we're we're doing that every other week. Mm -hmm. So that allows me to kind of, you know, the big thing around here is, are you happy? Like, I want to know their dreams, like like their dream was probably not to work for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So give yourself a little more credit than that, man. Come on. Well, here's here's the thing. I, I want I want what we're doing to fit into that. For me, and like for me now, if it is not that you're going to stay working with me for you know five years, six years, seven years, that's fine. Uh, I, I want to know what your dreams are, where we fit in that, how I can help you, you know, get that. And ironically, in doing that, uh, you know, it has increased the satisfaction with working here because it's not just about work. It's about their dreams and helping them get there. You know, I, I, I'm always asking, you know, what, where are you at in life? What's going on? Where are you trying to go and help them get there personally? Cause I, it was Jim Stovall I heard once and mm -hmm. he was, he said, if you can, if you can know, what what their dreams are and help them achieve that then you will get the most buy-in from them and so we we just started doing that you know i was always hesitant 
to ask somebody their dreams because I was pretty confident, like like you said, that whatever they were doing was not a part <laughs> of that dream. And all I'm going to do is accelerate them and and uh, in in terms of leaving the position that they're in. And you know, hopefully they were. You know, a lot of times when I'm talking to my employees, they're uh, they're doing a great job, you know, and they're and I don't want them to leave. And I I really struggled with the idea of you know somebody growing outside of the the position that they're in because then I would have to replace them. I'd have to I'd have to figure out you know then I'm uncomfortable because now I have to retrain, regroup, re what you know all those things. But uh, I recently talked to Lee Karahar in a, a, a previous podcast, and she talked a lot about kind of this generation. Uh, that's coming into the workforce that they are not a long, they're, they're not like me. They're not a long-term employee. They'll come and work for a, a business for a while. And if you take really good care of them and you encourage them and you do help them pursue their dreams, there's a good chance that they will leave and actually come back. And they usually come back better than when they left. And they're ultimately more loyal when they leave too. And not to say that they never found their dream, but Ultimately, I think they find that if you've created the right kind of environment and you've taken good care of your employees, you are now an attractive place for them to work, and they appreciate a lot more when they're away from it. Man, man, I love that. I love that, and that's that's what I'm finding out. You know, there's we live in a time right now where where the best talent really can go anywhere, mm-hmm. um, and so. Uh, things that can't be duplicated is your, your culture and the things that you just spoke about. Yeah. Yep. I, I love that advice. Yeah. It's, it's something that I'm still kind of coming around on. Cause my, and I told her and, and she laughed at me. Uh, my, my, my logic before was if you leave, then you're never coming back. Right? <laughs> right. you, you clearly didn't want to be with us the first time. Right. So there's no, there's no, you're always going to be looking around the second time and, and the third time or whatever else. So, I'm I'm happy to report that I've changed my mentality on that one, and I'm a lot more open to it. I actually have, uh, I've had a couple of employees that have come back, um, and they've gotten they've gotten better. They uh, they appreciate the environment that we have here, and you know we've kind of found a way for them to thrive in that too. And and so that's been like an encouraging thing to kind of see. And and also when you have somebody who's kind of been there and done that. Uh, and and said, hey, it's okay to hire the hire that person back. They're 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 not ill intentioned for leaving, but they're uh, just as valuable, if not more valuable, when they come back because your training time's shorter. They understand your product. They understand your culture. They understand and 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 if ultimately if they want to come back, it means they enjoyed working for you as well. It's still difficult for me though when people yeah. leave. Uh, I mean, just because. Well, like I said, I mean, we are trying to invest as much as we can into into everyone. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, OK, sure. I you know, I w- <laughs> I wish you luck. I, I, I really do. But I'm like, <laughs> OK, so I'm not the only one. So I was I was starting to feel like the only. Yeah, one you're not. <laughs> no. So that 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 helps me. I, I feel like uh, I feel like a normal person again. Uh, again, you've you've clarified that for me. <laughs> uh, let, so let's. So we've talked about um, we, we've talked about becoming number one. We talked about o- overcoming complacency. Um, the other the other side of that, which you know, I'd like to talk about a little bit about, is is that that burnout and how do we avoid that burnout in your job and in your entrepreneurial journey have you experienced burnout what 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 did that look like for you 
I did. I did. Um, and it was fairly recently, maybe, maybe about a year ago. Uh, before that, I would just work until my body said, okay, you're going to sleep half of this day or this whole Saturday. You're just going, you can't do anything, you know? <laughs> and, and that happens. Uh, but, um, probably about a year ago, there were, you know, whatever was going on in the marketing world. And if you've been in marketing and digital marketing, for sure, for any length of time, we have these, we have these cycles kind of like, uh, investing goes, maybe housing is big then maybe gold is big. And then, you know, we have these, these cycles. And so maybe AdWords is the thing, the, mm -hmm. you know, then SEO is the thing. And then we would always get, have clients would say, Hey, I want this. I want that thing. And they try to move all their money over to that thing, which I get it. Uh, but then I would say, Hey, something's going to change. I, I, you know, I've been doing this too long. Something's going to change. So we need to be taking maybe 20% and, and doing this other thing too. And they're like, well, no, we're just, we're kind of getting, um, good ROI out of this. So let's just write it out. Well, inevitably something would change. <laughs> right. And then we have these difficult conversations and then sometimes, uh, you know, they're just like, Hey, we're just going to pause for a moment. And, I started to get burnt out on that. And matter of fact, I did. I remember one conversation I had, I was driving down the street and uh, Facebook had changed their algorithm like so much that leads that were, we were getting for like five bucks uh, ended up being $25. Mm. And, and when you're, I mean, when you have that type of switch, it messes up everything. So I uh, got a phone call from a client and it showed me as soon as it popped up on the dashboard, I knew who it was. And I was like, I do not want to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was just like, hey, man. Yeah. Hey, man up. So, you know, I'm like, hello. And sure enough, it's hey, Clarence just got in town. And, uh, you know, this that, 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 that. I think we're going to need to uh, hold off for a moment. And I was like, oh, so I pull over and I'm in the parking lot and I was on Brookside and I, I pulled pulled over and I was just like, Lord, what are you doing? I don't, I don't. And I, at that point I was really burnt out. I was burnt out with our model. I was burnt out with the hustle. I was burnt out with, uh, with everything. And I just, you know, I came home, I called my wife, I, was, I came home and, and I kind of locked the door for a few days. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, then I got a call from, one of my longtime um, friends and and uh, on and off client, um, and he he brought me back to, man, I don't understand why you're playing the game of the industry when you know what it takes to saturate a market. You know, over the years, we had done projects for him and. Um, it's like, you know what it takes, you know, it takes longer than this beyond first page and in, in 30 days or 90 days and all this <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, you know what to do, like, like, do you? And, you know, I got off the I got off the phone and you got to have friends like that. Friends that when they text you and like they're like, hey, man, you missed you missed our uh, get together this morning. And you're like, uh, I know I'm going through some stuff. Don't call me. And then they immediately call you. <laughs> um, so I just kind of stepped back 
And I thought, man, you're right. And so I formulated uh, all of our successes, our major successes, the people who actually listened to what I told them to do and suggested and put together this plan. And that was the birth of the local market monopoly system. Mm. Well, uh, whoever that friend is, I think you need to buy him dinner. Uh, because, <laughs> because I, I think I, I think it's awesome that you have that. And I, you've talked a little bit about some mentors or some other business people in your life. You talked a little bit about, uh, you know, having a good core group of friends. And, and so anytime I kind of, I'm, I'm hearing some, some, uh, some things that I can read in between the lines. I'm going to, I'm going to try to highlight them because I think that as a listener and you're in this position where you're trying to grow as a leader, there's sometimes there's things that it doesn't matter how many times I say it to you or somebody else says it to you. If you have the right circle of influence, they can say it the exact same way that I've been saying it forever. And then all of a sudden it clicks. And so I think that especially guys need to recognize that, you need to have that core group of friends that that will call you when the you know you say hey don't call me things are things are rough right now. I think girls have a nat they're they're more empathetic and they're more caring uh, than guys and they're more intuitive to those things and so they press in pretty quickly. But you're only going to have that kind of friendship with a with a, a core group of guys if you're if if you're going to let them in to your struggles, if you're going to let them into some of the challenges that you've had in the past so that they know, hey, Clarence is really going through something and we need to be there for him. Because otherwise, if you don't have that core group, then you stay in that locked room. You don't necessarily come out until you kind of decide. And so that that friend group, those mentors, those business people that you've surrounded yourself with that know you inside and out that can kind of give you the kick in the butt that you need to get out of that place that relationship is probably in terms of success. And we're talking about our leadership journeys and everything else, probably one of the most important things that you can invest in. And it's an ongoing thing. I think that when you're getting started all the way to, I could probably talk to some guys now that are in their thirties, forties and fifties that they've still not found those people. And part of it is because they haven't been willing to invest in those people and, and pursue those kinds of relationships. But I would think that you would agree with me that having those kinds of relationships and forging those kinds of relationships are crucial to growing as a leader. And especially as the responsibility increases, as the stress increases, uh, and as your, uh, the, the things that you're in charge of increase. Totally, man, I, I totally agree. Um, your inner circle is so precious and, um, and for, for years, I don't know who I was telling this to, but every December I would prune my inner circle. I know it sounds crazy, but that's why I stopped hearing from you. I knew, I, knew, I knew it was something. No, I'm just kidding. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, and especially all the stuff that you dropped on the podcast, man. It's like, I, I, as a matter of fact, I said that. Remember, I, I was like, dude, uh, I don't know why we haven't talked more. No, I know it's my fault. Uh, it's because I got but, pruned. <laughs> no. But... You know, there there are there are relationships that you get into throughout the year. I mean, if if you're just truly candid about it, that are not beneficial for you. I mean, that either either you're making uh, 
you don't feel like you want to make the deposits necessary, like you said, you know, yeah. to sow into that. Like if you feel like you don't need to make those or this person is just making withdrawals and has never made a deposit with you. So <laughs> um, I totally agree. And uh, when you find a group of guys, it is difficult. Like, uh, but if you find a group of guys that you can start to do life with and that are trying to are going the same way that you're going or somewhere in that, uh, that direction. I mean, uh, uh, protect it, protect mm -hmm. it, protect them, be there for them and, and make as many deposits as you possibly can. And I think for me, some of the most difficult parts of that is I, I'm getting better at it, but I suck at empathy. I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that just, hey, rub some dirt on it, suck it up, quit being mm -hmm. such a baby, and just go. Mm -hmm. And that's just – I don't know where that came from. I, I guess I could do a deep dive into my my past or whatever, but it's just I just can't – I don't – I can't put up with people that are whiny. And I can't differentiate people that are whiny versus people that are hurting sometimes. And that's, uh, I think, sometimes what's alienated me from a lot of relationships. And so now – I, I call this the Young Business Leader Podcast. I'm not that young anymore, but I'm talking to that younger version of myself. And I, I think that it, if I were to kind of look into some of the interactions that I've had with people, I, I think I would really cringe at some of the things that I would have said because I just didn't understand what they were truly going through. And then ultimately, those people never pulled me into their inner circle because I was never I was never there for them when they needed it, and I was never going to them when I needed something because I thought that I could do it myself. That's a whole nother topic. But I think when you have those kinds of relationships and you, um, you invest in those kinds of, uh, things, there's, there's so much more that you find out that you're capable of. And sometimes you do need that, that kick in the butt to, to get out of that mentality. I mean, when you talk about, you know, the, the people that are struggling and hurting the most, they isolate themselves. And when you isolate yourself, that's the worst possible thing that you can do because it's just you and your thoughts. And last I checked, not all of my thoughts are the best thoughts in the world. And sometimes those thoughts become louder and louder and louder and you start believing those thoughts. And you get into this place where you start changing who you are as a person because of this um, this script that you've been telling yourself, these lies that you've started to believe and nobody's been there to hold those things accountable. And next thing you know, you're in an even worse place than, than you were before. So what I'm trying to get out of all of this is, is, is I think that Clarence really hit on it. Investing now in those kinds of relationships, being willing to come alongside people in their struggles. And if you can learn anything from me, try to find a way to differentiate people who are whining that versus those that are actually hurting. And what I found is even the people that are whining are hurting. There's just so much hurt that, that people endure that you just have no idea. Mm -hmm. And if you mm -hmm. can be that light to them, if you can be that kind of person that comes alongside them and tells them it's going to be okay, that, you know, even though you don't know what to say, I think sometimes for me, there's been situations, and, and recently for me, there's been situations, I cannot even fathom what they're going through. I mean, I have no clue. And I want to. It's like uh, uh, Greg, who's my VP of sales, broke his femur. And he told me, he's like, 
if somebody says, uh, oh, man, that must really hurt. He's like, they can't empathize with me. He's like, the pain that I went through, I've never experienced before. And he says, unless I talk to somebody else who's broken a similar bone like I did, it's like they have no idea that what that struggle was. And for me, I get that. I, I understand that I cannot, I cannot empathize enough with you. But what I can do is I can stand next to you and I can be available to you. And sometimes I, sometimes they don't want you to say anything. Sometimes you just have to stand there and then whenever they look over, you just say, I'm here. And whenever you're ready to talk, I'm here. And I think you don't have to fix it, but you you can, as a friend, be the kind of person that they need at that moment. And sometimes they don't even know what you can do to help them. But being there and being willing and, and working on trying to be empathetic, I think will get you so much further than just saying, oh, well, screw that person or, you know, they'll come out, they'll come out when they're ready. You can't do that as a good friend. I think I went on a rabbit trail there. Dude, you are hitting. I mean, you wow, you're going to church here. <laughs> like seriously, I mean those are those are great great insights and, you know, thanks thanks for sharing them with me because I'm like nodding my head. There's so many what I realized is a lot is most of the time people don't want to fix. Mm-hmm. You know, most most of the time they don't want you to fix, you know, fix things just or try to even relate, you know, when, um, when someone says, Hey, I know exactly how you feel. I mean, that's like, come on, bro. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) So just, just, just say, I can't imagine or something, or just, just sit there, you know? And then that's what I, what I found out because when you, when you talk about no empathy, that is, that's me. I mean, the, the, the um and it, it's crazy like when i was younger and someone could say hey man someone's got hit by a bus and i would like it i'd find it funny you know mm-hmm. and a uh, part of me is comedic too but that empathy part is like really difficult for me always has been i'm a thinker um like if we take it back when i say hey i went and locked myself up because deep down like i feel like you know pull yourself up and handle it like Mm -hmm. that is that is my motto but you're right when you get into isolation you're not helping anybody so Mm -hmm. one of the things i did for me and i'm going to take every single piece that you just shared uh, and incorporate that because i like that but one one of the things that i do is if we go back to my schedule and scheduling things People are going to think I'm a crazy, but I actually have three slots on my calendar every Sunday that can be moved anywhere throughout this week. And it just says, be a friend. Mm -hmm. So I have like three slots, three free slots that says, be a friend. And so I'm thinking about what I can do. First, I'm thinking about all my close friends, my inner circle, all my friends and like, where can what can I do and move those? And then sometimes I don't have anything. So they just sit there and situations come up during the week. And instead of being my, you know, I don't have time for this. It's like, dude, be a friend. You have you have a slot here, you know, (laughs) Uh, and I know that seems crazy, but it's you do whatever you have to do in order to in order to make it happen. Well, I, I want to be the first person, if there is, hasn't been anybody that's confirmed this for you, but I don't think you're a crazy person at all for putting that in there. I think that you're an intentional person 
who is recognizing the value of relationships so much so that you're making it a priority in your schedule. So part of that's traction, right? Like you're, you're blocking out times and you're making sure that you're doing the things that you need to do in the order that you need to do them. But having that ability to float those things through and, and saying, I, I, I put such a value on this that this is a, this is a part of my week to just be there for somebody. I think that's, I think that's awesome. And I think that's something that I'm going to take with me and hopefully the audience takes with them as well. Cool. Oh man. Well, did you think we were going that far down the rabbit hole? <laughs> I don't know, man, <laughs> wherever you take it, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you were talking about the handle it part, um, kind of that mentality, I, I think that that's kind of where it, 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 that strikes a chord with me too. Cause up until for the most part of my life, I have been able to handle it. And I think that sometimes for those people who are like me, who are, are not empathetic, I think that at some point you need to realize that you can't always handle it. Mm. I think that there is something at some point that becomes bigger than you. And when that thing's bigger than you, you're either crushed by it or you overcome it. And I think a lot of times people get crushed by it and that's where the depression comes in. That's where the burnout comes in. That's where all these other things that we're talking about come in. But even if you have all the tools in the world and you try to handle it and you just can't, that's where as a leader, you start to think that you're a failure. And when your identity is tied in everything that you're doing in your business, in your personal life, in your family, whatever it may be, when you start essentially looking at that scoreboard and you're saying, well, this is not winning, this is in fact failing, this is losing, I think that's where we kind of get to the other side of it and it kind of gets a, to be a, a pretty dark place. And so my the old me would say if you're if you can't handle it you're a failure but i think the other side of it is if you can't handle it it's okay to ask for help it's okay to recognize that you are not the solution to everything that you are not the person that has to fix everything you can try you can do your best you can uh put yourself in the best opportunity for success, but success is not guaranteed. And success is something that is strived for and worked for, but is not something that is always accomplished. And in some cases, especially in podcasts and, and, and when we're talking to people, we're always want to, we always want to talk about people's failures, right? I like to focus in on it because it makes that person human, but it also gives me an idea of, of how did they respond to that failure and what did they what did they learn from that failure? Because if we're not learning from our failure, we're not learning from uh, you know the struggles that we've had, then we're not growing as a leader. We're not growing as a person. So I think it's okay to recognize that if you can't handle it, it's okay to ask for help. That's the first thing. It's not failure. It's it's not necessarily uh, a mark against you uh, of of ineptitude. It's the, the situation was purely bigger than you. I would say, though, that in that failure, in those situations, that you do find some sort of way to learn from it, but also recognize that there is a time where you have to ask for help. And for me, when I was in that situation, it was more about understanding stewardship in, in, in the business that I'm in and the life that I have and recognizing that part of it, that changed my mentality greatly. I could no longer handle it. I couldn't because the, the, the weight of the situation was so big that there was nothing that I could do to change it on my own. I literally had to say, all right, I'm not in control anymore. 
But once I did that, there was peace in that. And once you can really work towards stewardship in your leadership, I think ultimately that's where you recognize that from the very beginning, you could not handle it. You were never in a position to handle it. You were just in that position to steward it. And that completely changes everything that you're going through. Man, I love that. I, I, I have to go back and listen to what <laughs> episodes one through 123 now because uh, you've gleaned a lot from these. You know, it's uh, so for me that the whole podcast thing originally came from a situation where I wanted to grow my network. It was selfish. I wanted to connect with more people. I wanted to have an excuse to talk to them. I wanted to do, get some self-promotion. Um, somebody told me I had a face for radio, so I, that might have kind of played into <laughs> it as well. But when it, when it ultimately came down to it was I just enjoyed it. And what I, what I learned was that I was a really crappy leader in my first 10 years of leadership. Um, I, was I was good at what I did. I was good at um, the, the things that I put my hands to. And ultimately what happens in that situation is you, they, people start to promote you. And in some cases, they promote you towards the potential of what you could be, but not what you currently are. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So Absolutely. what happens is you have to backfill at some point. And I just, I just never backfilled. I just kept going and I rose to the level of my, ir my uh, arrogance. And I got to a certain point where I, I, I kind of was like questioning, is this a fluke? Like, how did I get here? Like, I know, I know, I know how I got here, but I, I, did I fool everybody? Did, did everybody not mm -hmm. kind of see what was actually going on here? And so I had to recognize, first of all, that people were putting me in positions and promoting me based on my potential, but it was my responsibility as a leader to backfill, to mm -hmm. use that expertise, to use that knowledge and, and take everything that I've been doing as an education, uh, to grow as a leader, as opposed to, to have that title next to my name on, or on my business card, or to have that amount of money in my bank account. I was focused on the wrong things for that. And then had to kind of do a little bit of a step back and say, okay, I'm in a really great position now to learn a lot of stuff and I need to be okay with not having the answers. And once I was able to do that, the podcast was, was one of my ways to kind of give some of that back. And that's kind of where I've realized the true purpose of it. Um, but ultimately I had the opportunity to talk to people, not surface level conversations, but a conversation where I can really kind of dig into some of the, the struggles that they've had, the, the, the successes that they've had. And there is a, um, there is not necessarily an outline or a, a plan to success, but there are principles that are interwoven into pretty much every entrepreneurial successful leadership journey that I've seen. And the funny thing is I've been hearing about it my whole stinking life and I just ignored <laughs> it. You know, you go all the way back to guys like Napoleon Hill, John Maxwell, uh, even Gary V. I know you're, I know you're kind of hating on Gary V. We, we, you know, he's, he's got some good things in there, Clarence, but even Gary V has got some really good things there that are interwoven into all the swear words and everything else that he says, but the principles are true. Work hard, uh, do your best, be the best version of you. All that stuff's interwoven into that. He also tells you to buck up and, 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 and get through that. And, and if anything, he might be the only person in that, that person's life that's telling him to do that. And he's filling that void for him indirectly. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's just been for me, this journey. I can't say that episode one is you're going to glean a lot from it, 
But uh, ultimately, through the entire path of all of this, uh, I've definitely grown in my leadership journey. And the goal with it is just to keep pointing back to some of the things that I've learned and some of the things that I see. And if people can benefit from that, then I feel like I've done my part in kind of helping the next generation in their leadership journey. Man, you have and you are. And, um, you know, and, you know, I'm. I do want to say I am a Gary Vee. Yeah, I know you are. Uh, you didn't say uh, anything, so and, I was like, oh, maybe I, maybe I struck a chord. And a, and a Grant Cardone, you know. But oh, okay. I, I, I think, but we're sales guys, you know, and, and what 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 helps us with sales and to keep going, I think the, the uh, less empathy piece helps us, you know, uh, what drives us and we get promoted. And I really believe in everything you just said is like, okay, Hey, now I'm up here. Now let's go, you know, fill all this in. And now you're sharing this as you're, as you're uncovering it, you're sharing it with the world and the new leaders, man, I, I love it. The only thing, the only thing is as I, and I'm a, a bit older than you, I believe it's just like, as I started uh, thinking about the, the, the Gary grind. And he says this, if it's, if you want to spend time with your family and that's, that's it for you, then do that. You know, he, he is making a conscious decision to, to not so that he can buy the jets one to change my blueprint is really what it was. It's, you know, the blueprint that I believed success was I gave, I had to give myself permission and it was not an easy thing to do to say, you know, what's really important and write out all of the roles that I, that I, that I have is father, husband, uh, all these. And, um, it was a book that I was reading called, um, I think living forward where it, you start out with your funeral mm-hmm. and you, you're writing your own, uh, eulogy and, or, and then it's like, what do you, what do you want all of these people to say about you? What do you want your wife to say about you? What do you want your kids your colleagues, your clients, everybody, all these roles you have, what do you want them to say? And you write that out and then you start walking that way now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that, that made a a big deal for me. (laughs) Yeah. Gary V has, uh, he knows the cost and he's willing, he's willing to pay that cost. And I think, you know, if someone were to say, you know, do, do you know what it takes to be a millionaire? I think I do know what it takes to be a millionaire. And in some cases I'm not willing to do that. Because mm-hmm. that true sacrifice is not worth every all the other things that I would have to give up in, in order to get there. And some people will be like, well, you know, that's why you're not as successful as you could be. You're right. But at the same point, I have fulfillment in life. I have purpose in life. I have, uh, I have a family that I think loves me. Uh, <laughs> I have a good group of friends. You know, they say that, but I also pay for everything. So I'm a little torn on that. But, you know, the, all of those things that kind of come together and say, you know, I'm not necessarily backwards writing my eulogy, but I am working ultimately towards a a place where I can be in a position to give back to some of those people that gave back into my life. Because I can't, I can't name every single person, but I do know that there was a lot of people that sacrificed and did a lot of things for me that, and I probably didn't even take it for, I I probably didn't even thank them. Mm -hmm. I probably took it for granted when it actually happened. And it's, and, you know, the cool thing about them is it probably didn't even bother them. They probably knew, you know, at some point, you know, Evan's going to be at a point where he actually appreciates the things that that that, um, that we've done for him. But we don't need that. It's not about 
that fulfillment for them. It was just about creating that opportunity to give back to that person, whether or not that person received it at that point, because it's, it's not that singular moment of when you actually do something. Sometimes that just plants a seed and that seed can grow later on in somebody's leadership journey. Absolutely. Clarence, we've had a lot of time to talk about a lot of things. And I think I talked more, I screwed up on this one, but, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly to the audience because uh, it sounds like, you know, in our conversations, you've gone through a lot of the similar things that I've gone through and and uh, have learned a lot in your entrepreneurial journey. So I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Speak from the heart. Tell them what's your message to young business leaders. Man, I enjoy our conversations. <laughs> um, <laughs> young business leaders, I would, you know, I would just say get to get to contribution as as quick as you can. I mean, the we we live in a country. If you're in if you're in the United States, for sure, where um, you can find a need, you can fill it. I mean, it's it's what we do. Invest in people. Invest in your community. You know, just invest in people and get to contribution as soon as possible. It is not, it's really not ever about you. I mean, that's, that's just what I have come to It's never been about me. Even when you're, even when you're selling your service or your product, it's about your client, your customer, your patient. I mean, it's all about them. It's all about your team. It's all about the people around you. Fantastic. Clarence, how do people connect with you? How do they find the local market monopoly podcast? Uh, where, how do we circle back up with you and, and follow you on your journey? You know, I'm going to switch things up and send you to ClarenceFisher.com. And that's mm. that's the hub to everything. C-L-A-R-E-N-C-E-F-I-S-H-E-R.com. Awesome. Well, I would give you a hard time if you didn't have some sort of unique hub for everything to go to probably a funnel of some kind, but uh, I'm not going to reverse engineer any of that from you, but anyway, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your heart and sharing your entrepreneurial journey with the audience. I know that I've learned a lot in our conversations and I'm honored that I had an opportunity to be a guest on your show and I'm honored that you took the time to be on this show as well. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast.